0: Has ever had a problem believing a promise. Somebody makes you a promise and you just won't believe it. Uh, I suppose technically that's described as somebody who's got trust issues. Uh, we took our kids uh, rock climbing recently, in fact it was Leah and little Amy. Uh, we took Leah and Amy, um, one of them's my kid, the other one's not. We took them down to the climbing wall down on the dock roads, great there, massive big walls. And what they do is they stick you in a harness uh, and then they get a piece of rope that's looped through something at the top. One bit of rope is attached to the instructor, the other rope, bit of the rope over the top, down it comes, and it's attached by one of these. You see that? It's a bigger one than this. I mean, most of this, this is probably freaking you out looking at that. Are we alright there, Mark? We're okay? Yep? Okay? Um, it's only a little thing. The one they had was a bit bigger. But, the, it's called a carabiner, and this thing had made them a promise. In fact, it says on here, just this little one alone, it says on here somewhere, that this will carry 650 kilograms. You wouldn't believe that, would you? That's like, um, I don't know, eight of you. You can do the maths after that. But the bigger one, it, it, made, it made the little kids a promise. It said two and a half tons. It can carry two and a half tons. So, there they were, they climbed up, they went up, 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 up to the top. And then they didn't believe the promise. Because when they got to the top and they climbed up, if she's, if she's like that for a bit, don't worry. Stay in. That's great, and we don't mind. But if she's like that for like 20 minutes, brilliant. That's great. I'd rather you were in if possible. That's great. Okay. Uh, where was? I? Oh yes. So there's Becca, and there's Amy. She's at the top of there. The instructor at bottom. She's got a rope connected to her, and the instructor says those horrible words. Let go. Now this is where Amy's trust issues come in, because what does she do? She's supposed to sit back, lean back, and let the rope and the carabiner carry her. But what's she doing? She's like. Digging into the rock face with the nails, moving her feet around like this, sort of like trying to bite onto the holes with the teeth, grabbing hold of the rope. Why? Because she doesn't want to trust the carabiner. She gets yelled at, take your arms off, take your arms off, she takes her arms off and like, oh, no, grab back hold of the rope. Let's go of the rope. And you can see, you know, she gets disco-knee, you know the knee starts to go, and she's, and she's slowly being... And all of her instinct is saying, grab a hold of the rope. Now, if I was the carabiner, I'd be offended. Because that carabiner's made little Amy a promise. I can carry your weight. And to not believe the promise is basically quite insulting. It's saying, you cannot carry my weight. I've got to try and cling on, as if it would help, by my fingernails with my tongue, I'll have to, like, support myself. I can't depend on your promise. And I won't trust you. And you're saying, hold on, Steve. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? She's like seven. Isn't it a good thing for kids to be cautious? And you're only thinking that because of where you're born. You're born into a world where everywhere you look, things are making you promises to satisfy you and keep you secure... And virtually all of those things that you look to don't carry weight. They seem to promise so much, but they don't. And that's why some of us, isn't it, we, we have trust issues. We struggle to trust a, maybe a new friend or a new partner or something like that. We're sort of very cautious about handing them the fine china of, of our lives in case they just drop it. We're very cautious about trusting the politicians. We've seen them on telly so many times, making promises with the big smiles on their face. We just struggle to trust them. You struggle to trust virtually anybody who does anything for you. So if you walk into your kitchen today, you will find appliances like toasters and that. You won't have bought them unless they've got a British safety standard kite mark on the bottom. Because you don't want to risk. We all have trust issues to some degree. We've all been burned by promises made and broken. And we as a church have been learning over the last two weeks that that isn't the way it's supposed to be. Your instinct to trust is a right instinct. Our problem is what we have been trusting. We learned in our first week together that God had made a glorious kingdom. You can see it here, just here. he made a glorious kingdom, and the kingdom has three things in it. It has a king who rules and blesses, has people in the kingdom, and they have a place together. And as we heard, was the Garden of Eden. And we were learning together that the, the, the word Eden, you've heard the Garden of Eden, the word Eden means delight. It was a place where everything should have been, there was no hurt, pain, worry, there was no brokenness, there was no fear, there was total openness and peace. And then because they enjoyed and sat under God's promise, everything worked, but the second that the words of somebody else came in, they said, if you do this, you can be like God, and they liked the sound of that, and they started listening to that promise and everything collapsed, and that's why we've got the little crosses there, you can see them, because basically they got kicked out, and away from where God was, they forfeited all the blessings, they said, I'm not going to believe your promise of sufficiency, I'm not going to have your abundance, I don't want to find joy in you God, I'll find it myself. And since then, we've all had trust issues, we can see it on the sheet there can't we, but we were made to live under God, do you realise that? How much of your time and energy do you spend worrying? Where's my life going? What's it all about? Who am I supposed to be? And you're desperately you're looking around to people around you saying, Please, will you help me make sense? If I dress this way, look this way, have this amount of money in the bank, I'll be okay. Those things will satisfy my soul. Those things will secure me. And they may be good things, but they can't carry your weight. You're clinging on like little Amy was with her fingernails to the wall, and all this time, the God who made you and loved you, we find in the Bible, is saying, let go of the rope, and trust me, it's what and who you were made to be. And it's obvious, really. If you try and trust anything that is created, rather than the Creator, sooner or later it'll let you down. So, all of you, as you sit there, you've got hopes for this week, perhaps. Perhaps maybe big events, things that you think, if I just get that, everything will be in place, and it might for a little while, and then it will start to slip, Because we're made to build our life on God. And everything goes wrong, as we can see here, when we refuse to depend on God's promises. And he said, hold on Steve, this all sounds like bad news, I don't know whether I really want to hear this today. We've come the right week, because now we're going to find where everything changes. Where we have dropped the ball, God jumps in, and he does something. So turn over to your first page, you can see how everything went down. you have a little door in there starts off in the garden Adam and Eve turn away from God things go downhill remember Noah? we were learning about that last week ok the, God, uh, the world's turned away from God and so God says I will wipe everything clean and start again with that little bunch of people Noah's family still goes downhill because Noah goes and gets flattered then there's the Tower of Babel where everything breaks apart more and if you don't know what I'm talking about go away and read it if you get a wet Sunday afternoon but then God breaks in with a promise. He breaks in and says, I'm going to change everything. God breaks into the life of some our fellow called Abraham. We have the Bible bit read to us. Now this is about 2000 BC. This is real history, really happened about 4000 years ago. A fellow whose name was Abraham, but we later like start calling him Abraham. And you can see that God breaks in with a promise. Now I just want to say, this is quite amazing that God does this, because Abraham was nothing special. Maybe some of you think, oh yeah, God will speak to holy people. No. He speaks to people who aren't whole. And Abraham was one of those people who was a bit of a mess. He was not in a holy gang. In fact, we're told in the Bible he was a pagan worshipper. He had defied God as much as any of us. But God comes to him and says, I'm going to use you and your family to restore the brokenness in the world. So let's read it. Let's find Can You see the little verse there from Genesis 12? The Lord said to Abraham... Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. For all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And it's difficult when it's written on the page, isn't it, to capture the amazement, the scale of these promises... God comes and freely promises, or three things, there you can see, a new people, even a nation, can you see there, I've got little stars there, because in a few chapters time God appears to Abraham and says, look, you're going to have a family that ain't going to stop at 2.4 kids, it's going to go global, look up at the stars, try and count them and that's how many people will be blessed through the promise I'm making to you, I'm going to do something big in the world. In fact if we go further in Genesis chapter 17 verse 7 we're told it's going to be a growing nation of people who know their God and are like what God made them to be and it won't end with them it will sort of burst out to other people to the very ends of the earth you notice that Uh, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you so if you are living in speak at the moment the place where you're going to meet God's blessing is through this promise that we've just heard come true God's going to be doing amazing things. Well, next one, there? A blessing and a rule. That's what God's going to bring. I don't know whether you, you... Do you ever use the word curse? When you curse somebody, you might not use the word, but sometimes if you curse somebody, it's to say, I want everything for them to fall apart. That's what a curse is. It's wishing to somebody that everything just breaks. That things shatter. So you might not have said, curse you, but you've pretty much said, well, yeah, you know what you've said. But here, did you notice how God is promising that all the brokenness that comes from us cursing each other and us distancing ourselves from God, he's going to reverse. Five times in three verses, he says, bless, bless, bless. Blessing is the opposite of the curse. If curse. It curses stuff collapsing, falling apart and going wrong. Blessing is stuff coming together and being in its proper place, as it should be. And God is promising that through this family, this new nation, he's going to bring blessing and his gracious rule to people who will trust. What that land. Well, you can see that there. The Lord said to Abraham, leave your country, your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. He's saying, leave your country. Go to the land I'll show you. And the promise that God is making here is that he's going to begin the process of restoring life to what it was supposed to be it's amazing how many people when they find struggle difficulty disappointment in their life maybe it's that the job hasn't quite worked or the relationship hasn't quite worked what do they want to do? they want to move somewhere else and get a fresh start God is talking here about a fresh start whole life global edition that's where he's going this is what God is going to do so, he's promised a lands that, like in the beginning, it will return to be like the land of delight, a place where God dwells with his people, that everything is as it should be, and that is the carabiner. That's the promise that God's made. alright Caleb, if you leave that, that's fine, matey. That's fine, just leave it, that'll be alright. If the door keeps swinging open, just leave it, that's fine. Just keep people cool, that's great, thank you. So God has made this huge promise to this little dweeb called Abraham. He's got a choice, hasn't he? He's got to decide whether or not to take God at his word. Can I trust God? I wouldn't really like to be in Abraham's shoes because it looks quite scary. The promise of a new kingdom. But God has freely come to him here and said, look, let go of the rope. Trust me. Put your life, your future, your security, your satisfaction in my hands depend on me. People sometimes come to me and say, Steve, what's Christian life all about? It's this. It's where you put your life, your security, your satisfaction, your hope of change and salvation in the only set of hands that are big enough to carry it. We let go of the rope. So here's Abraham, and the news is that he takes a great big breath, he packs his bag, and he heads off after God can you see the little table there we've put there just to try to help you understand where we're going to start off with under God's kingdom in, in the garden of Eden Adam and Eve in the garden God's word and they were in perfect relationship then when it all went wrong when they listened to the snake nobody was God's people banished wandering disobedient and cursed but now there's been a promise made and the whole of the rest of the bible from here to there is seeing whether God can keep his promise. That's it. Can God keep his promise? Because if he can, that makes a world of difference to everybody with a heartbeat here. Because it means that God can do and will do what he says he will do. And whether you choose to believe it or not, ain't going to stop it. If God actually keeps his promises, we've got to watch out. I'd rather be part of them, sharing in them, than watching from the outside, living curse, living things falling apart. So, like I say, Abraham takes a deep breath, packs his bag, and off he goes. And the, ne- the rest of the book of Genesis, from 12 through to 50, is all about how God makes an immediate family out of Abraham. And i tell you, it wasn't easy. And then Exodus, 19, uh, 1 through to 19, is all how that family blows up into a nation. So that's what we're going to have a little look at. We'll look at how the Lord breaks, uh, um, sorry, makes the, a new rule and a new land next week. So if you want to know about that, come back next week. We'll look at that. But for the moment it's clear that this, at this stage, this is the family to watch. And let me tell you, if you've got struggles in your family, <laughs> this should really encourage you, because this lot were a disaster. You know, they were dysfunctional with a capital D. They made the Simpsons sort of look, I was about to say like the royal family, but the royal family have got issues, haven't they? But <laughs> this is great, because God decides to pick people who are perfect, and bless them, and do stuff with them, which means it's open to you and me. You know, in a little while we're going to have three people standing up here, and then going down there, getting very, very wet, and they're going to say to you, I ain't perfect. In fact, I've got these shoes. But God has put his hand on my life, and he's doing a work in me. There's hope. There's hope for me. There's hope for them. And there's hope for you. Do you get that? So there are problems from the first term. God's promises are sort of, you know, God's going to do this thing, but it just, just looks so weak and vulnerable. So first, when Abraham gets there, he goes to the land, and there's a famine. So Abraham tries to take stuff into his own hands. You know, he's digging in with his fingernail, doesn't want to let go of the rope. He takes his whole family off down to Egypt, and then he decides to pimp out his wife as a way of saving his own skin. What a toe rag! He's taking stuff into his own hands. Then after a few years, bless her, Sarah, his wife, is moving on in years, and she can't have kids, she's infertile. So I suppose the polite way of saying this is that she's passed her sell by date, so Abraham tries to take stuff into his own hands again. He thinks, "Great! I need a son. God's promised a son, and the blessing will come through that son. I'll go find myself a son. Sarah, get us your slave. I'll go sleep with her." Taking it into his own hands. Won't let go of the rope, clinging on with his fingernails. He's trying to make God's promises happen. He won't let God keep His own promises. He says, "I'll try and help God out." Ever, ever done that? God, I think you should do this. Now Abraham's going to learn the painful way that it is only God who will keep the promises it's as if God's saying "No, you know Abraham um, I've stacked the deck against myself against all the odds to leave you in absolutely no doubt no doubt whatsoever that if these promises come true oops are we okay if these promises come true it'll be Sorry, Andrew. sorry to be pain. could you go that way round, not that way. Just go that way. We, yeah, Helen's and one people. Take it, take her around there. Brilliant. Yeah, just take it around outside, so it should be fine. Yeah, go on, come on, back in. Thanks. Where were we, Bryce? Uh, hold on. Here we go, where are we? Uh, oh yeah, that was it. Right, what was God saying? What was God saying? God was saying, look, you know Abraham... I've stacked the deck so the odds are against me being able to fulfill and make well make you think you can do it I'm going to do it for you so if you struggle to believe that God is going to do what he's going to do don't be surprised because sometimes God sort of makes it so that you you have to learn that he is trustworthy and he is reliable and he will do what he's going to say that he can do Isaac's the next son. Can you see it there on the little following through? Isaac was a bit of a tow rag. In fact, he was a wimp. Uh, he wouldn't do what God asked him to do and suffer the consequences a little bit, but at least now his dad was learning to trust who God is. Now, Isaac had two sons. One was called Jacob, one was called Esau. Uh, one was a thug, and the other was a, a manipulative little get. I think mean, that's the best way to sort of explain it. He was always doing his best to sort of, you know, just tell lies to people to get what he wanted. To manipulate them, to change them. And the thing that we're supposed to be amazed at here, is that God will work through undeserving people. That's the God of the Bible. You see, you and I, we would pick the best. We would pick the people who are champions. We would pick the heroes. We would pick pick the kind of people who we want to get to the X Factor Final. We would pick the kind of people who are in the middle of Hello Magazine but not the laws. He picks people like you and me. So that tells you something, you know, if, if you're somebody here who says, I'm a Christian, it's not because you're better than anybody else. In fact, the likelihood is you're not much good at all. But it's because God has merely put his hand of grace upon you. Jacob's sons, well, they're a chip, chip off the old block. Uh, one of them sleeps with the father's concubine. Concubines, where did they come from? Another one sleeps with his daughter-in-law. Ten of them can't decide whether to murder Joseph or just sell him into slavery. You've seen um, Joseph in the technical dreamcoat. You like that one, don't you? Yeah, I know. You have. And the fellas who are putting up their hands, I know. That's the story. But God is behind it. Joseph ends up in prison. He's down in Egypt, and he's like, God, what on earth are you doing? But by the end of the story, he realises that God has been working in such a way to take even the wickedness of his brothers and the scheming of Egyptians going to rescue his family from the famine in Egypt, God is in control. God's keeping his promise. And all the way through, this family are digging in with the nails and refusing to let go of the rope. So that's the message of Joseph's life. And you need to know the message of Joseph's life if you're a Christian. I don't know how you'll get through the day without it. Because the news of Joseph's life is that God is in control even when he doesn't seem to be. And if you ever doubt that, what you need to do is go back to a hill in Palestine about 2,000 years ago. Where the God-man came. And if you looked up, you'd have seen him hanging on a cross. And all of his enemies were laughing at him and go, ha-ha, you failed. You look so weak. All the disciples who'd followed him willingly were looking at him and... Well, they went home and cried in the beer. And little did they realise that in that moment when it seemed like everything was falling apart... God was raising up salvation for all who would trust in Him. He was saving people from sin and death and hell, and three days later He rose triumphant from the grave, the power of an endless life, never to die again. Please, if you're a believer, don't ever doubt that God is totally in control. Nothing's beyond Him. He can deal with anything. And whilst that family and their faith was bitter, it's apparent by the end of the book of Genesis that God will do whatever it takes. To bring his promises about. He can secure people. He can be dependable. He will, he will satisfy souls who turn to him. Now a few hundred years pass by. And there's a new nation... They're down in Egypt land. The 70 or so of his family have grown to several hundred thousand now. I don't know what was in the water. They were like blinking Rabbits. But they're there. But they're in slavery now. They're under a cruel guy by the name of Pharaoh. For any of you who've seen Charles Esther in the Ten Commandments at Easter, which is on every year, this is where we're up to in the story. But they, they've got a vestige of faith, a heritage of faith, but they don't really know God. Maybe that's your trouble as well. So like You've heard a little bit about God, but don't really know Him. So, God does something to fix that. In fact, we add it read to us, and there's a little bit of it. Hold on, I've put it in. A little bit of it in there. You can see it there under a new nation, but I'm going to start a little bit further back and read. Okay? So, Exodus chapter 12. Oh, sorry, Exodus chapter 3, even. I'm going to start further back. The Lord said, I've indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. Okay? That's the Lord being busy and being involved in their life. And so I'm concerned about the suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and spacious land. A land flowing with milk and honey. The home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, I'm not going to say the rest of those, you can barely read it. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way, and the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out. He said, I'm coming to get you, my people, in a bad way. I'm coming to rescue you. He's raised up a guy called Moses, who was himself was a bit of a social malcontent. We can talk about him another day and he's appeared to Moses and said I'm going to use you and I'm going to go get my people out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt I'm going to bring them out of slavery Moses scratches his head and then he says this I think this is his excuse you can see it there on your bit of paper Moses said to God suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name then what shall I sell them God said to Moses, I am who I am, and this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And you're like, hold on, God. Couldn't you give me an easier explanation? I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. Why does God say that is his name? I am. In fact, if you've got a Bible, sometimes it says Lord, L-O-R-D, and it's in capital letters. Have you seen that? That means... That's, that's his name, sharp which is the translation, I am who I am, or I will be who I will be. What on earth does it mean? It means this, God is saying, this is my name, watch me. You watch me, see what I do, see how I act, and then you'll know who I am. Do you get that? Well, you, you know that, don't you? You know. As much as people say that, well, I'm a different person on the inside, we judge them, and we know them by what they do. It's terrible, isn't it? Because we actually judge people's, we judge kids' parents by what the kids do, don't we? You know, we watch the kids and they're flipping out and messing about and we're like, oh, that tells me something about the parents. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it's certainly true that if you watch God, see what He does, then it can be said that you know Him. Listen, it's a good job that God isn't one of those sorts of ambulance-chasing lawyers. Because He'd have sued most of you by now. He'd have sued you for wrongful representation. The number of times we get God wrong and then we sort of kick him into touch. But actually, we haven't got God right. So here we've got an opportunity, haven't we? Here, God says, look, watch me. And you'll be surprised how God does two things. He's a God, well you can see it there. He's a God who judges defiance and he's a God who rescues and redeems his people. Let's have a look at that. In fact, it, well, it goes like this actually it goes. As God judges what is wicked and wrong, it opens up the way for people to be rescued and redeemed. Now, I realise that sounds a bit technical, but actually you'll see it's quite common sense in just a minute. Let's just quickly go through. So, Moses is sent to Pharaoh, the, the superpower leader of the day. Click over if you've got your Bible to, to chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Let my people go, so that they may go to a festival to me in the desert." And Pharaoh said, "Who is the Lord that I should obey Him and let Israel go?" Do you get that problem. Pharaoh doesn't know who God is. You see, everywhere Pharaoh's looked, he's conquered. He's the big cheese. He's the one who's got all the power. He is the leader of the biggest nation of the day. Somebody says, oh, by the way, the Lord says, let your slaves go. No. That was a very foolish thing to say. Well, it would be a normal thing for Pharaoh to say to anybody else, but to say to God, you're going to be in trouble. And in fact, the next few chapters are all about how God pummels Pharaoh. He gives him a chance. He says, let my people go, and I'll let you off. Pharaoh keeps on saying, No. And then the Lord rains down on him, plague after plague after plague. And you remember some of them? There was the gnats, there was the boils, imagine that. All of those horrible things that are coming again and again and again. And And it finishes up with one terrible warning. God says to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say, I've come to a point where I've given him enough chances now. He's hardening his heart against me. And this time I'm going to come through the land... And the shadow of death will fall across the land. The angel of death will come and each of the firstborn in the houses will die. And Pharaoh went, yeah right. So on the appointed night the Lord came to his people who would listen to his word and said listen, the angel of death is going to come and bring judgment on Egypt for the sin against me and for defiance. But there is a way that you can live through the judgment. What you need to do is take a little lamb, and the lamb will die in the place of the firstborn. You take the lamb's blood, once you've killed it, and you daub it on the the, the, uh, door frames of the house. And you and your family wait till midnight when the angel of death will come over and bring judgment rightly so on those who've defied me. And you shelter your family under the blood of the lamb take shelter there, and because the angel sees the blood, he will pass by because he knows that the sin that has been committed has been covered with blood, has been, you know, whenever there's a sin, it brings death. And if we've sinned and turned against God, which we have, it'll bring our death. Physical eventually, and then spiritual. But God said to them, look, there's a lamb, a substitute, shelter under." Death there, and you'll live. And so the Egyptians went away and they sheltered and nervously and waited. And you can imagine if you were the mum and you're looking at your firstborn son and you hear the scream starting at the far side of the city, and he's next. But God was faithful to his promise because the angel of death passed over where he saw the blood. And it's teaching us a massive, huge, huge, big theme in the Bible that if God says, trust that substitute, then you can shelter under the death of another. And some of you are already thinking about the time, later on in the Bible, 2,000 years ago when John the Baptist points his bony finger at a young man who was walking over the hills and he says, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not just shelters a little house, takes away the sin of the world, and who was he pointing at? He was pointing at the Lord Jesus. Saying, if you trust in him, he will be like your Passover lamb. He will die in your place and you can shelter under his blood spilt. You can find a way through the judgment. You can be rescued. You can be set free. And so there's a place in the Bible that says this very clearly. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Please, can I I realise it's difficult because I've given so much to you, but if there's one thing that I want you to grab a hold of today, it's this. Please, please, don't leave here without knowing that your sin is covered. Because the fact of the matter is, one in one people die, and you will meet God as your judge, and you can either meet it bearing your own sin, or turn to Jesus and say, please be my saviour, be my sacrificial lamb, be the one I shelter under, so that I can stand... That's the promise that God has made to those we've been looking at. That's the promise he will make to us. And the question is, will we grab a hold of it and say, I can stand in this life and in the judgment because I'm sheltering under Jesus. He's my Lord. He's my saviour. He has found a way for me to be rescued. Time's running short, so we're going to skip over the next bit about how he redeems. And we're going to flick over to the back and we're going to see where we're up to. We find that there were promises made to Abraham. Can you see those? Great nation. A land to live in. Living under God's blessing and rule. But by the time where we're up to, there's loads of people. That's tick. Done. God's fulfilled that one. But they're out of Egypt. They're not in the promised land. And they're a bunch of ragtag people who keep saying, I need to keep hold of the rope and grab it on with the fingernails because they don't yet quite trust God. They're grumbling all the time. But up to this point, what have we seen? And this is the big thing, isn't it? His people can trust him to protect his promises. If God makes you a promise, he will keep it no matter what. And he has promised that if you come back to him, he will be your sole satisfaction, and he will be the one who secures you for all time. I wonder whether you're prepared to take him at his word. I wonder whether you're prepared... To let go of the rope. You know, we've seen a few things here, haven't we? We've seen that God, well, what's his style? How does he roll? What is he like? Well, we've seen here that, well, he's sovereign. He puts his actions into place. You know, it wasn't that Abraham said, you know what, God, I think this world needs to be fixed. No. God went to Abraham and said, I'm going to do something. That's the kind of God he is. He takes initiative. He came down and grabbed hold of people. So if you're somebody sitting here today and you're thinking, do you know what? I think possibly God may be speaking to me in a way in which I need to find out more, or I need to know a little bit more, or I need to find out who he is and know for sure. You can only do that or say that in your head and heart. If God has always and already in some way put a hand on you. If he hasn't, you're probably disinterested. And if you sense that, you say, actually, hold on, whoa, Lord, if you are there quick, please don't let me go. He's also wise. You see, this is, this is great, this is because we're always trying to put our own mess back together, but he's the one who brings calm out of chaos. He appears in the midst of a backfiring situation, and rather than it all fall apart more, like is what happened... I mean, Andrew was great with that earlier, wasn't she, when she was talking with the kids... You know, whose decision, who are you going to trust to be in charge of your life? Are you going to uh, trust a, a snake or God who made you and loved you? And it is a silly question for this reason, because although we don't like to admit it, sorry, you push the door although we don't like to admit it, we've got a really bad track record of running our lives. We, don't like, to, we, we, like, we like to make excuses, but we're really bad at it so many of us have left the trail of broken relationships or other people's hurt feelings or us trying to make sense of where we're at we're just bad at it but God comes in, he's wise and he puts stuff together that's what it means to be wise wise is when you know how to bring things together but God's glorious as well this is wonderful, I love this because we're all on the hunt, aren't we? we're all on the hunt for something to sort of say yes, I can grab onto that that will do it for me I can depend on it And there's all kinds of things that tempt us. All kinds of things that we say, if I get that, I will be okay. So what does God do? He says, right, you've seen the rest. Now look at the best. And all through those stories, whether it's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the family, Moses, the children of Israel, Pharaoh, who's saying, look, I'm bigger and better than all the rest. What are you trusting them for? Build your life on me. Depend on me. I'll satisfy you. I'll secure you. I'll make you whole. And then he's gracious you know some people and maybe you're one of them think that they can bargain with God you know sort of I'll scratch your back you scratch mine you know if I sacrifice donate turn up be good help ladies across the road then God has to bless me Not according to these stories that we've been looking at see the problem with that idea is that well we, God has, well, we have something that God wants do you know you've got nothing that God wants He's totally satisfied in himself, which means you can't manipulate him. You can't get his arm up, his back, and say, you have to bless me. No, if if he's going to bless any of us, it's going to be purely because he wants to. Sheer free grace. So if you're somebody who thinks to yourself, do you know what, coming along to church and hearing the gospel message, God's going to ask me to do stuff to get in with him. No, he's not. He wants to give you stuff. He wants to give you life as you were supposed to have it. And he does it freely by his grace. See, the Christian gospel is not you give God a good record and then God owes you and has to sort of give you what you want. No. That's religion. That's not Christianity. Now the gospel message is God gives you a perfect record through Jesus and you now own the whole of your life. So this tells us what the life of faith is. You can see two little pointers there as we finish. God is taking people into His gracious school of faith. You know, I've had people come to me and they've said, "You know, Steve, I wish I had your faith." It's almost as if, and I can always sense from it, it's as if they think that like a little fairy with a wand has come along to me in my life and gone, "Dink, there you go, you can have faith," and then missed a few people out. That's not it at all. Anybody can have faith, but you've got to know who it is you put your faith in. So if little Amy comes to me and says I'll be the one who holds the rope at the bottom Daddy you go up I'll hold your weight when you go, uh, and you let go I'm going to say not on your nelly because Amy's that big I'm the, I know she can't carry my weight but if it's the other way around Amy will say do you know what A caribbean has worked for me before I've seen it in action I don't mean, daddy's on the end and he loves me I can let go and she did she did. So you can know that God is trustworthy if you'll enter his school of faith where he, will, he, will, he says, trust me, depend on me and I will prove myself to you. And So it's his faith, it's faith in his character. That's what we need to trust. So as we close here, I realise I've raced through loads and I've left so many things unanswered and you're bound to have loads of questions. But this is at the centre of it. God is claiming that he is all you were ever made to need, want and you've been sold down the river by lies that actually life in this world can make sense without him you've offended him in doing that but even so he will come to people like you and me who aren't impressive who aren't lovely and says believe my promise to make something even of you to save you to forgive your sins trust me take your hands off the rope and put your life in me I can carry your weight I want to carry your weight and your heart will be restless until you rest in me this song that we're about to sing is wonderful it's about that I wonder whether you can click it up can you see it there I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And wonder how he can love me. A sinner condemned unclean. You see that it's about God's free grace. How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my saviour's love for me. Now it's going to be difficult to sing this song because what we're about to have is a few fellas coming and in up boards and you're going to want to have a little look there I realise that you've been sitting you've been very patient with me and I appreciate that but as we sing this concentrate on that because it's wonderful uh, Kosh, Matty you're going to come out and just lend a hand with that that's lovely right let's stand together I stand amazed uh, in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene And on the and